Well, again, very important song and uh, confession for us to make before the Lord. Hey, I'm going to be looking in the New Testament at the book of Philippians. I want to encourage you to get your Bible and open it up near the end of the New Testament. The book of Philippians, we'll be uh, looking at some verses in the first chapter. I hope you'll be bringing your Bible every week as um, we'll be continuing in Philippians until we've done the whole book. And uh, if you're kind of mindful about those things over these weeks, you uh, can kind of do some note-taking and kind of create your own personal little commentary on Philippians. And so we hope that that'll be a service to you. So we're in this series where we're talking about how much God wants to bless you. And I asked you last week as we launched into this, are you blessed? It's an important question for you to answer for yourself. How do you perceive your current life and life circumstances? Are you a blessed person? And most of the time when we think about whether or not we are blessed, we think in terms of more. Do I uh, have more money? Do I have more stuff? Do I have more opportunity? Do I have more of whatever? And if I do, I'm blessed. And if I don't, I'm not blessed. If we were to graph that out, we tend to think about blessings as going to the right and up. And what I tried to unpack for us briefly last week is that there are a lot of biblical examples of men and women who were greatly blessed of God, but their graph didn't go right and up. A lot of it went to the right and down. And some of it went to the left and down. It was like they were going backward. They were, they were like uh, having setbacks in their lives, but they were blessed. And so I'm inviting us to consider God's blessings in a different perspective to see that he is for us. He wants to favor us. He wants us to know life in a richness and a fullness. But it does not always look like what our culture would say. Oh, that's blessed. And so we go to the Bible to see what that really looks like. It kind of raises the question then. What's the purpose in life? Because blessings happen in connection to what my purpose is, what your purpose is. And so I've already kind of teased you a little bit and asked you to begin to think about that. What is your life purpose? The purpose that God gives you. Maybe it's a plural. What are the purposes that God has given you? If you've taken that seriously, have you been able to arrive at some conclusions? Is that something around which you're making God-based decisions and God-directed steps? So let me, by way of introduction, just review a brief summation of what the Bible says about God's purposes at work in us. And then I want to get into today's text and particularly talk about what the Apostle Paul would say with respect to God blessing us through life purpose. All right? So to begin with, God has purpose. He's not aimless. He's not, you know, some kind of cosmic drifter. He has intentionality and purpose. And one of the things that the Scriptures reveals to us about God's purpose is that He wanted to make us His children. Now, God didn't need children. He is totally sufficient. He needs nothing. But God decided he wanted children. He wanted sons 
and daughters, you and me, to have connection and relationship with Him. Ephesians 1.5 says it this way, God had already decided through Jesus Christ that He would make us His sons and daughters. This was His pleasure and purpose. He basically said, I like that idea. It was His pleasure. I'm going to do it. It was His purpose. And so He uh, created and worked so that you, so that I could be a son or a daughter of His. Now, uh, as He created us, He created us with intentionality and with purpose. Let me mention five things very briefly to you. The first is this. God's purpose for you and for me is that we would worship Him. Now again, God doesn't need our worship. He's totally sufficient. He has no needs. So if God doesn't need our worship, then why would He design us and purpose us to worship Him? Answer, because we need to worship Him. Worship is something He not only deserves because He is the greatest, He is the highest, He is the most exalted one. He's totally worthy of it. But in addition to that, we need to worship Him. We need to be reminded, oh yeah, He's God, I'm not. Because when I forget that, when you forget that, we begin to live life like we're God. Like we're in charge. Like we possess all the wisdom. Like we possess all the power that's necessary. Like we possess all the wherewithal to do life at its fullest. And we do not. But He does. And our worship keeps us in touch and in tune with that. Psalm 147.11 The Lord's delight is in those who fear Him. Those who put their hope in His unfailing love. Now, he did not say the Lord's delight is in those who sing songs to him and listen to sermons. Singing songs and listening to sermons is not worship. You go, what what am I doing here? Singing songs and listening to sermons can be tools, can be avenues of worship, but worship is primarily what we just saw in that verse. It is revering him. The fear of the Lord is a reverence of Him, an awe of Him, a deference to Him. And it is a hope in Him, a confidence in Him, a trust that turns my heart and my life to Him. That's what worship looks like. So worship can happen when we gather like this, and we'll use some songs and some readings and some sermons and things like that to help facilitate some of that. But it also happens outside these walls, mostly... Every day, with every kind of opportunity and experience that is out there for us. If we will fear and revere Him and put our hope and confidence and trust in Him in all of those circumstances. We're worshiping Him. A second thing that the Scriptures point out to us is that God's purpose for us is to connect with others. See, he, didn't, he not only made us his sons and daughters, but a part of that purpose was that we would be brothers and sisters with one another. That we would be a family with one another under him as a father. In Romans 12:5, in Christ, we who are many form one body and each member belongs to all the others. We're all connected. 
Now, biblical words that get at that and describe that are words like koinonia, words like fellowship, words like community. And some of what God is up to when we experience life at such a substantive connected level is that that is how he further transforms our lives. Which gets at the third purpose is that he wants us to become like Christ. A third purpose of God is to so work in us and so form and shape us that we become like Christ. Worship is part of the process that helps with that. Connecting with others is part of the process that helps with that. A biblical word that describes all of that is discipleship. A disciple, the word basically means learner. And so a disciple is a learner of Jesus. Learning how to do life as a son of God or learning how to do life as a daughter of God. Learning how to do life as a, uh, a family member of God's, God's family. Um, a fourth purpose is that we would serve him by serving others. And again, he's totally sufficient. He doesn't need our service. So if he doesn't need it, then why does he purpose for us to serve? Because you're beginning to get it. We need it. Jesus was a servant. And he uh, modeled for us the whole servanthood thing because that's the way life is designed to be lived. uh, In such a way that we're not about getting, we're about giving. We're not about collecting, we're about dispersing. We are about... Uh, serving and meeting the needs of other people. Ephesians 2.10, we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Before you drew breath, God had a plan for how you would serve Him by serving others. And the plan is so complete, it's so masterful, that God gave you talents, abilities, interests, passions, gifts, all so that in that whole package you could uniquely serve Him by serving others like no other. And then a fifth purpose is that we would carry out Christ's mission. John seventeen eighteen, Jesus said, In the same way that you gave me a mission in the world... I give them a mission in the world. Now, what was that mission? Jesus came and lived among us so that he could bring to us good news. What's the good news? The good news is that God is full of grace. The good news is that you are a sinner, but God forgives. The good news is you are estranged and separated from God, but God's the great reconciler. And he wants to draw you into intimacy and relationship with himself. And so Jesus' mission was to come and to share that good news, to die a sacrificial atoning death that would make it possible for us to have forgiveness and relationship with the Holy God. Now, that's it real briefly on what our purposes are, our God-given purposes, in a very general kind of way. Now, there's all kinds of specificity. There's all kinds of specific nuances that come along with that for you. 
You just heard some of Dana's testimony, and a lot of her testimony had a very specific, personalized piece to it. But it all falls within those five things that I've just described. Now, what I want us to do, and and here's how Paul put it. He said, the most important thing that I've got to be about is I've got to complete my mission. The work that the Lord Jesus gave me to tell people the good news about God's grace. I've got to be about that. And so we're going to see how he got at that. As I said to you last week, uh, Paul began to make a, a lot of trips. He began to do a lot of traveling so that he could fulfill his mission. He went to a lot of cities and a lot of regions, and there he was telling the good news. He was inviting people to accept the grace of God in the person of Christ, and he was starting churches. As people would become believers, they would have these gatherings as churches. And along the way, he uh, stopped in a city called Philippi, which was a major uh, governmental city in that day. And he engaged some people in a way that they came to Christ. They formed a church. Paul went on his way, but he continued to have contact with these believers and with this church in Philippi through all the succeeding years. And in fact, they would continue to pray for him about his mission. They would send offerings to him to help him fulfill his mission. They would even send volunteers and helpers to go and work alongside of him in whatever city or locale he was at at the time. So this was a a, a really huge church that uh, was a great blessing to him. Now, They are at a point, and this is one of the reasons that Paul writes them a letter that we call Philippians. They are at a point of kind of being worried for Paul. Because you know what was happening to Paul at this particular time in his life? He was in prison. And the reason that he was in prison, he didn't break a law. He wasn't immoral. He didn't, you know, have an ethical kind of failure. He was fulfilling his mission. He was just telling people the good news. And inviting people to be Christ followers. And along the way, the government tried to shut him down. And he would not bow to their demands. And so they said, okay, you get to go to jail. Do not pass go. Do not collect $200. Go right to jail. And he did. And he has been in jail for two to three years at this point. And like I said, these Philippian friends are pretty concerned for him. They're They're wondering, how is he getting along? And, oh, isn't this awful? Because now your mission is not being fulfilled. Your mission is not being accomplished. And this is how Paul responds to them. If you're looking with me in Philippians chapter 1, and we will pick it up at verse 12. Paul said, now I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me, being arrested, being put in jail, being chained daily to a Roman guard. What has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. Because of my chains, most of the brothers in the Lord have been encouraged to speak the word of God more courageously. And fearlessly. Now, let's pause there for just a minute. We're talking about God's purposes for Paul's life. 
and how seemingly, superficially, they look like they were being thwarted. They look like they were being hindered. They look like the purposes of God in him were being stopped because his circumstances were very hard. Are you listening? Are, are your circumstances hard? Do they feel like they threaten the purposes of God coming to pass in you? Paul said, no, 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 no. Friends, here's what I want you to get. These hard circumstances are actually advancing the purposes of God in me. This adversity is advancing the purposes of God in me. Not hindering, not stopping, not altering. Advancing. He goes, Scott, how in the world could that be? Well, he said... Everybody knows, I, I'm not a famous guy. I wouldn't make headlines in the Roman times because of who I am. But I have made headlines because of why I'm in jail. It was unthinkable to the Roman audience of his day that he would remain imprisoned because of this Jewish carpenter guy named Jesus. What's that all about? And so he was garnering all kinds of attention for Christ because it was so unthinkable that he would be in jail for such a ridiculous reason as to being a follower of a Jewish carpenter who he happened to claim was God and Messiah. And not only that, he says, I've been able to make this clear throughout the palace guard. If you're reading the NIV, now, the word in the Greek language is really not palace guard, which would have been a few dozen choice guards of the royal house. But the word in the Greek is praetorium, which is this big unit of soldiers. It's possible that he had been able to give exposure of the gospel to nearly 10,000 soldiers. Now, how do you get such an in? With the Roman government and the whole branch of the Roman government called army, how do you get such an in with them unless God puts you right in the middle of them? Oh, I know it looks like arrest. I, look, I know it looks like detainment. I know it looks like defeat. But no, I'm at work with this, Paul. Hang with me. And Paul's saying, I get it, God. And he's trying to let his Philippian friends know. God's at work in what looks like a setback. Then he says, listen, my bonds, my chains are causing these other brothers to get bold. And you see, he was literally chained to a soldier, like all the time while he was in prison. Now, you know they worked in shifts, right? So he might be chained to three, four, five, six different soldiers a day. That's part of how he was getting the gospel known throughout the whole praetorium. But the watching brothers that were around the city of Rome who see Paul advancing the gospel and remaining confident in God in the face of adversity, who themselves had been timid, who had been afraid to speak of Christ, who were concerned about their own detainment by Roman soldiers, 
suddenly see Paul and they're emboldened. They, they are encouraged and they begin to speak the gospel. They begin to fulfill their mission. So Paul is not only advancing his mission, he's encouraging others to get on with the job of their mission. Also, this is the greatest thing that ever happened. That God would allow me to be arrested and I'd be in jail for, for two to three years and then I'd be chained every day to us. See, see what he's doing. Now, if you go on down to verse 29 in chapter 1, he says, Now, let me let you in on a little secret. Part of God's blessing for you is that you join Christ in his sufferings. You go, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Suffering and blessing have never been in the same sentence for me, Scott. You're, you're, you're a little over the edge at that point. No, no. That's what the Bible says. And the Bible has stories from Genesis to Revelation that illustrate that suffering often goes hand in hand with blessing. So Paul is telling his Philippian friends, here's a little secret, guys. When I am in Christ, suffering is not the absence of blessing. I'm right in the heart of blessing. God is, if God allows or brings suffering my way, it's for a high holy purpose. And I'm blessed for his high holy purposes to be accomplished. And not only that, you back up to verse 21. Some of those Philippians are going, well, well, Paul, what happens if you die? I mean, what happens if they execute you? What happens if they kill you? And he goes, it only gets better. Because you see, for me to live, it's Christ. I'm going to do whatever Christ wants. I'm going to live the purposes of God. And if I die, I only get more of Christ. I can't lose. It's gain. I know that just a you know, five-minute little hiccup of enthusiasm from me does not change some long-held beliefs and convictions that you have about suffering and death. There ain't nothing blessed about suffering and death. And so what I'm going to be asking you to do right now is ask God. Did he mean what he said in the scriptures? Did they get it wrong? Or is it in fact the word of God that is truth? And if it is truth and he's God and I'm not, then I probably would be better served to take him at his word than to take me at my reason and logic. Now, I'm not messing with you because I know some of you in this room are in some very hard circumstances. Some that will be listening to this later. Very hard circumstances. Some of you are in some health situations and you're extremely perplexed and concerned, fearful, whether it's for you or a loved one. Some of you are in some employment challenge. You don't know where the job's going to come from. How are we going to make ends meet? Some of you 
are in financial crisis. Some of you have some relationships that are just, they're just busted and they hurt a whole lot. What I'm saying to you today is this. If you are about the purposes of God, not your own busted, crazy, self-centered way, which brings its own set of pain, but if you will be about the purposes of God, then all of that pain, all of that hardship, all of that adversity will be used by God to accomplish and fulfill His purposes in you and through you. As Paul Bellheimer used to say, don't waste your sorrows. Don't waste your pain and your life hardships. Don't have all that happening because of your own purpose or will. Have all that happening because you're in His purpose and will. And allowing Him to do wondrous, eternal things about all that. So, how are you? About God's purposes at work in you. Do you know what they are? Are they personalized? And uniquely being experienced and lived out. Are you at a hard place in the road in that journey? Some of you may be familiar with the name Michael Card. He's been a long time uh, Christian musician and artist, uh, Dove Award winner for. Songs he's written and performed, a lot of albums. He's also an author. He's written several books. Uh, he considers his primary calling and his primary gifting to be a Bible teacher. So all that other stuff's just extra. Remarkable guy. And one of the reasons why God has done so much with the gifting that's in Michael Card's life is by his own admission by uh, a mentor that God gave him. When he was at Western Kentucky University... As a student, God gave him a theology professor by the name of Bill Lane. And their professor-student relationship over time kind of morphed and changed into a mentor-mentee and friendship kind of relationship that went on for nearly 20 years. Long after Michael graduated from college. And when Michael finished... Uh, his uh, bachelor's and master's degree, he was totally on track to go after a Ph.D. because he wanted to teach Bible and theology in college, in university setting. And he had begun an application process and had been, in, uh, been accepted into a program. But all through the years, he had loved music. He had become very accomplished as a guitarist and a pianist and had written a few songs and whatever. And so some friends of his that were kind of getting into the Christian music industry, said, we need to do some recording and show some producers we know how to record. Will you let us record some of your stuff? And he did. And the industry said, uh, yeah, we will let you begin to produce for us, but we want that artist. And Michael just fell into the Christian music industry and just soared. But he hated it. 
because there was so much junk in the Christian music industry and so much celebrity and, uh, you know, less than God-honoring, God-worshipping kinds of things going on. And he was very, very frustrated with it. And Bill would just continue to walk with him through the years and say, God's given you the platform. Don't despise the platform. Allow God to use the platform that he's given you in the, in the voice and the influence and so on like that. And so he, he did continue to leverage that through the years. Um, in 2006, after all these years, since about 1985, that Michael and Bill Lane had had this mentoring, discipling kind of relationship together, Bill calls him one day and he says, Michael, I need to move in with you. Michael said, Why? What's up? He said, I'm dying with cancer. It's well advanced, nothing that can be done about it. And the last thing that I want to be able to do for you is I want you to see how a Christian dies well. Let me move in with you. Michael ended up later writing an entire book about this called The Walk, talking about how he and Bill would walk together with God. Uh, But that was the final chapter. That... As Bill would live out his life purposes, he even allowed God to use his cancer and his suffering and his death to accomplish the purposes of God. And guys like Michael Card and many of us that have benefited from Michael Card are the recipients of how Bill chose to live his life in the purposes of God. I ask you again, do you know your purpose? Are you living, experiencing God's purposes for your life? Will you treat your adversity as something that will advance God's purposes in you? I'm not... Asking these things lightly, glibly. Not looking for a little emotional hiccup from you. Oh, yeah, yeah, I'll trust God. No, I'm saying, in the depth of your heart, will you just go before the Lord and go, you know, I don't get all this. I don't know that I can, can really comprehend all this. But I'm going to trust you. I, I'm going to turn in your direction, not my way. Now, Jerry has given us this new song today that's got these lines. Speaking of the Lord, you alone can rescue. You alone can save. You alone can lift us from what appears to be death and dying situations. In a moment, he's going to be leading us in that. And, you know, it's very well for you to stay seated right where you are and take in the truth of that message or maybe even sing and articulate some of that for yourself. But here's what I'm going to suggest. There may be one or two of you. In the light of how God has been speaking to your heart today, you need to take today 
as a time to take a stand. And so in a little bit, when Jerry leads us in this song, I'm going to invite us to stay seated, except for the two or three of you that you're just, God's moving on you about this right now, and you need to take a stand. And when we get to this course, I'm going to invite you to stand. Just take a stand before the Lord, allowing your friends, or if you're new here and you don't even have a friend in the room, allowing us to prayerfully uh, join you in your stand. We, we will care that you take that stand. and We will pray for you that you take that stand. And then as the song continues, you can, can sit back, back down. We also have this connection card that I highlighted for you a little bit earlier. Friend, if God is moving, speaking to you about some of this, living his purposes, trusting him in the hard, hard things, uh, pressing through the adversity in a confident, hope-filled kind of way, and we can pray for you about any of that, then indicate some of that and let us follow up with you or care about you or pray for you and support you in that, all right? So use the connection card as that kind of tool. I'm going to pray, and uh, Jerry's going to come. Uh, this will also be the time when we can worship God with our tithes and our offerings. And as we get into this song and we get to those lines, if you need to take a stand, Take a stand. Let's pray. So, God, we don't take lightly at all any of the things that we've been talking about or considering today. And some of our friends are very difficult places in the road, and we pray for them right now. We pray for your grace to come upon them. We pray for you to bless them. For them to find favor with you. We pray for you to give eyes that see and ears that hear, that can take in the spiritual realities that are a part of these hard circumstances. And we pray with every commitment we make to you today, you would meet that commitment with grace and power. In Jesus' name, amen.